0: Hi, and welcome to The Second Chapter, the podcast where Kristen Duffy, the founder and producer behind Slackline Productions, that's me, talks to women who started the second, third, or even fourth or fifth chapter in their lives and careers after the age of 35. If you're enjoying The Second Chapter, remember to leave us a rating or review. It helps others to find us, and then they can enjoy it too. This week, I'm talking with brand new graduate, Jen Rorick. Jen was pursuing her first second chapter when a freak occurrence left her unable to walk. After struggling with her mental health and feelings of fragility for nearly a decade, Jen decided at 40 that it was time to pursue her long-term dream of acting. With an integrated master's degree in drama performance and touring theater under her belt, Jen is now ready to take on the world, and in true The Second Chapter style, hopes to encourage other women over 35 to pursue their own dreams.
1: You always have to have something that ignites you inside whatever that because like you only get one life and as i experience uh, something can happen in a second that threatens that
0: hi jen thank you so much for joining me today how are you doing
1: i'm great thank you for having me kristen it's my very first interview ever so i'm really excited
0: Good. Well, I'm glad to be the first. <laughs> your story is amazing. So I I feel really lucky that I'm just the first person to recognize that it needs to happen. Thank you. So I'd like to start in the middle, not even quite in the middle, a little bit later than the middle of your story, because I know that you were working on your first, second chapter when you were 30 and um, you had an accident. So I want to yep. hear more what happened about this accident.
1: Now, this was one of those completely freakish events that came out of nowhere. I was in the process of training. I was training to be a early years teaching assistant for primary school kids. And one particular day, I had literally lifted two incredibly heavy bin bags into a car and then out of a car and took them down the street to a charity shop. That was that. The next morning, I woke up with pins and needles in my toes of both feet. Again, I thought it was a bit weird. I didn't think anything much of it. And then over the course of that week, both legs started to become numb. And the pins and needles that started in the feet went all the way up to waist height. And at this point, I saw my doctor was worried. I just blew it off, said, no, I don't know. I have probably trapped in it. Doctor said, no, I don't think so. You might have something very rare called Guillain-Barre. It is an autoimmune attack, if you like. And she said, look, I want you to keep an eye on it. And if literally anything happens, we need to see you immediately because this could threaten your life. And again, me being 30 years old, I didn't really think a lot of that. I was still walking. And then by that weekend, I stood up to go and have a cup of coffee and couldn't put one foot in front of the other. I was literally paralyzed from the waist down.
0: Wow. First of all, one of the things that's really interesting about that to me is the fact that your doctor was concerned and you weren't, because I do feel like so often we go to the doctor and it's like, something's wrong, something's wrong, and mm. they won't listen. But mm. in this case, they were mm. telling you, something's probably wrong. And you were like, eh, "Yeah, that's fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I should have probably heeded that warning. But I didn't. I was busy. My son was four At the time, I was like, oh, well, I'll go and see the doctor again after the weekend. At that moment of paralysis, obviously, at that point, I started to seriously panic. I ended up in the hospital. They did MRI scan after MRI scan at the local hospital. They then blue-lighted me up to the Queen Elizabeth in Birmingham, where they have a neuro unit. And they eventually found that I had something called a syrinx in my spinal cord at waist height. And this is a a very tiny fluid-filled cyst. And they told me that they had never seen one in that position before because they are rare and they're normally either a genetical thing or after some sort of spinal trauma and then normally at the top of the spine and not where mine was
0: was it something that they was the bin bag lifting what agitated it would it have yes. been something that would have happened even if you hadn't lifted those bin bags eventually or do they know
1: no honestly they they didn't know their only explanation for it was the lifting of those bin bags had wow. agitated it and had moved it maybe like a fraction of an inch which was enough to disrupt the nerves between waist and legs.
0: So at this Um, point, you're completely paralyzed from the waist down. And what kind of prognosis are they giving you?
1: Really pretty poor. They said, honestly, we are not expecting you to walk again. We would be surprised if you ever walked again.
0: And was it something that they said they could remove a cyst? <laughs> now I have a million medical
1: questions. <laughs> they thought about it for a fraction of a second and then said, no, we don't want to touch it because it's in the cord and because of where it was in the cord. <clears throat> Even if they had uh, said, maybe you will walk, potentially if they were to intervene, that could have... Meant I would never walk. There I was in a situation of, wow, okay, this is bad. My son wasn't even with me at the time. He was with my ex husband. It was like the school holidays. And I just went into, right, okay, I'm not having that. I'm going to learn to walk again. I'm going to make sure that I can walk again so I can care for my son, I can finish my course, I can get on with my life because I'm 30. Yes. And luckily, over the course of about two and a half weeks, the feeling started to return in my legs. And at that point, I self-discharged myself from the hospital against medical advice and went home and then spent a very long time in rehabilitation with various teams of physio people who would come in every single day, try and get me walking, get me up and down the stairs. And it was a very long road physically. It took maybe a year of very slowly getting some sort of like feeling of just, you don't think about how you walk. I had to think about, oh, okay, I need to put my foot here. And psychologically, that had a very bad effect on me because... It triggered uh, panic disorder and I'd never suffered from anything like that before. And all of a sudden I was vulnerable, really vulnerable, out on my own.
0: It does seem like any kind of, I don't know, any kind of accident or anything that happens that makes you aware of your physical boundaries and your morality, it really is easy to suddenly go, oh, anything could happen. If I could yeah. lift a bin bag and be paralyzed, what else can happen? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So just going back a little bit to your recovery, I know that when you were younger, you were a dancer. So mm. do you think, uh, was there anything about your body and your the control of your body that helped or hindered in this recovery? Or was it all based around where you were at that point?
1: Yeah, my dance training didn't help me in any way because what I was discovering during the course of the recovery that it was 99% mental in terms of I would be out with a physio walking down the street. We would get to, let's say, a main road, a crossing, and I would need to cross over. And I might have walked absolutely fine down the street. And then the minute that we've got to the edge of a big road, that I'm looking over thinking, wow, I can't do it. My legs don't move. And, you know, that in itself ended up on a, a complete hamster wheel to the point that I would freak out any big open space where I didn't have kind of the, the feeling of security of either being next to somebody or have something near me that I could um, grab onto. If I suddenly felt wobbly Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden I did, I had all of that taken away from me. So it was terrifying. And even now I do find myself occasionally having a little moment where I'm like, oh, okay. I call them my Bambi moments where I will suddenly start wobbling, standing like all pigeon toed. And it's a mental thing. So it wasn't so much to do with the physicality of getting strength back. It was more to do with overcoming a mental barrier.
0: In the course of that, though, you ended up finishing the studies that you yeah. were. So, so how far after this time of paralysis or during the time of paralysis did you end up finishing your studies? And mentally, how did you even do that?
1: Mentally, how I <laughs> did that was sheer stubbornness. I will finish it. I'm not going to let this stop me from finishing what i started Mm-hmm. So I was, oh yeah, yeah, I was probably about six months from finishing the course. So it was probably like three quarters of the way in and I had to have six months off and I went back to my studies in a wheelchair and I finished and I came out with a distinction and I was so incredibly proud of myself that I'd managed to do that.
0: Was it something that you recognized right away that it was a real achievement or was it something Mm. that took you some time?
1: No, right away, because it, it was also something that I could focus on that was allowing me to not spend so much time in my head, worrying about, you know, panic attacks and worrying about anxiety post-accident. And just the fact that I'd been able to achieve that was such a big deal. Bearing in mind that they'd said to me, oh, you might never walk again. That was a big deal.
0: And I guess having it in your head that this might be your permanent condition, it's not, there's no reason to stop your life at that point. You have to keep living. Yeah. Yeah. So once you have this degree with distinction and you are getting over slowly physically, how did? what was the mental toll in the long-term? It was
1: 10 years, actually, of mental recovery. I had completely turned into a hermit to the point where I wouldn't leave the house unless I was with somebody. Mm -hmm. So I had to rely on people to come and take me grocery shopping or anything, walk my dog or just anything. I wouldn't leave my house unless I was accompanied. So mentally, that just came to a head where I got so desperate, I went to go and see a hypnotist. And actually, he exacerbated the condition to the point where I wouldn't even leave the house with somebody, my front door would open and I would literally have a panic attack and be completely hysterical. And then in the end, somebody recommended CBT. That therapist came to my house every week for a year and she literally saved my life because it was all about unpicking all of the negative stuff that had got into a little chemical one-way track in my head. And she had to break those cycles and teach me to think about things in a very different way.
0: And at the time, you still have your son very young as well. What was it like just being able to deal with having a young son while all this is going on? It's really tough,
1: really tough, but he had to be my main focus the whole time. It was difficult for him, but he almost took on a little bit of too much responsibility or at least feeling responsible for me oh, mum, you can't do something. Let me help you. And that really helped because easily I could have just completely lost my mind. And somehow I didn't. It was just I managed to find another level of strength to keep going. Because every day I would just have in my head, if you could just keep moving forward. And this is whilst I was in CBT therapy. Just celebrate the little tiny wins that I've had today that I've managed to Walk out of my front door on my own, walk to, I don't know, the end of the street. And I haven't had a panic attack and I haven't fallen over and I actually feel okay. So it was literally just building on those little things.
0: After 10 years of just really having to build yourself back up again, not just physically, but really mentally, Mm -hmm. what made you decide to go in a different direction?
1: It was this point of my life where I just felt okay. I have spent a decade um, trying to pull myself back from the brink of absolute disaster of my life imploding. I feel strong enough now mentally to turn things around. And I just decided, age 41, this is my moment. This is... Now or never, because I'd always had a love for the arts and for lots of life reasons, I hadn't gone into it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it now. So I went to university to do uh, drama performance and touring theatre and it's an integrated master's degree and I've literally just finished and graduated last month. Amazing. You know, I still can't <laughs> quite believe it, that I did it. I did it and I loved every single second of
0: it. I think we all have different life circumstances, like you said, that kind of stop sometimes us pursuing maybe something that seems impractical or what our dream maybe is, or maybe our dream comes later, or we have lots of dreams. But life circumstances-wise... Pick that apart a little for me. (laughs) Before all of this happened at 30, what had stopped you just doing it as the first thing you ever wanted to do?
1: I wanted to be a professional dancer, as you mentioned earlier. And I had applied to the London Studio Centre to do dance. And that particular year, I couldn't get in because they'd given all of the grants for my area away for that particular year. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll do it next year. So the next year came and I had to give up dance in the end because my knees were injured and I knew that I wouldn't be able to dance professionally.
0: And your Um, mom was a professional dancer, right? So it wasn't like something that seemed like an impossible dream. It was something that you had seen in practice.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was very heartbreaking at the time that I had to give it up, but... My knees had always been an issue because I have ridiculously shallow kneecaps that could dislocate at a second's notice. So uh, from a purely practical point of view, I had to give it up. So I parked it somewhere and then ended up getting married at 21, divorced at 22, went into a whole host of non-arts-based jobs along the way, admin and call centre staff, this and that the other then got together with my son's father had my son and then I was a full-time mother for a very long time divorced my second husband and then we're at my 30s yes. so at, you know 30 here we are, I'm going to do something different. And actually that the teaching assistant course that I took, I didn't actually end up ever using it, which is ironic. I had to fight for it so hard, but I've never actually used it.
0: But it is interesting that it was one of the things that you got to focus on. So it had its purpose, even though Mm. it wasn't the purpose that maybe you originally intended it to have. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm a big believer that things happen for reasons. And this particular thing obviously wasn't meant to be at that point I don't envisage that it will ever be now and because obviously I'm going into completely different industry
0: I am amazed that you've just finished your degree because you've already had a show <laughs> that's been digitally produced for the Brighton Fringe oh, so yeah. tell me about this show
1: it was my graduate piece and because of covid I ended up having to do it digitally. During the course of my degree, we hadn't done any modules on filming anything, actually, because it was all geared up for the stage. So I had to have a little bit of a self-crash course in how to film, edit, act in front of a camera And actually, it was an amazing learning curve for me. And considering the fact that we're still having problems with COVID, I'm sure it will be something I can revisit again. So whilst I was very disappointed that I didn't get to put it onto the stage at Brighton, it was very successful. And it was in the digital section. And I'm very proud of it. And I'm literally about to start rewriting and adapting it for the stage.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned that you think in the long term it'll serve you well, because you'll probably will go back to it. But I do feel like a lot of us in the theater industry are talking so much about how do we carry over some of our COVID learnings? Because accessibility is an issue. The fact Mm -hmm. that people that maybe, again, going back to what happened to you for 10 years, not being able to leave your house, whether physically or mentally, there were a lot of people that got to experience theatre shows and participate in things that maybe are a bit more of a challenge. Yeah, how do you think you maybe will use that going forward?
1: Whilst I absolutely love, and you cannot beat, live theatre, there are amazing things about digital work where you can reach audiences and connect with them in a way that you cannot live. You can be much more performing as if you are having a one to one show and your audience is able to see you up really close in such a way that you can't do that necessarily on the stage. So you're able to create almost a level of intimacy that you can't on the stage. And I like that. And I also like the idea of fusing digital media with live. So I think it has a lot of merits. And creatively, I think there are a lot of things that I would like to explore further down the track, whether it's that I make another digital show, or whether I film digital elements that then go into a live show, I don't know. But I think it's definitely a good skill
0: to have. And now that you're translating it to the stage, is it something that that you are incorporating a lot that you learned from the digital side of things? Yeah, for sure. Because
1: Because I've learned so many different things about filming and fusing elements of digital with live, I think I probably will incorporate some digital stuff into the live version. But the live version is undoubtedly going to be quite different to what it was on film. Because I was able to do certain cutaways that you wouldn't Mm -hmm. necessarily have on the stage that probably wouldn't work so well on stage, but work brilliantly on the digital version. For instance, there's one scene when I am having a dinner with somebody. So the audience is like my dinner guest. And we're talking about Celine Dion and my obsession with Celine Dion. (laughs) And we cut to a little tiny snippet of me walking down the stairs the my heart goes on yes. right and there's like a wind machine going on and she's spreading her arms out like this
0: so it's like you could get into your head in a way that maybe fringe stage performance is not going to quite happen <laughs>
1: exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> so other than your obsession with Celine Dion though Tell us about the show, what what it's about, and what it's called even. I haven't even mentioned the title. Oh,
1: it's called And Breathe Repeat. And it's part autobiographical. It mainly serves as a piece to go, you know what, if you are a certain age, you don't have to fit into a certain mold. So I struggle even now with... The expectation of what a woman of a certain age should be like, should do with their lives, should act like. And actually, there's no, there's no script for that. There's no script for our lives. Why do we have to do a certain thing at a certain point in our lives? So I've done everything in my life uh, the wrong way around, frankly, and I'm not going to stop now. If I did it the wrong way around, I'm just going to keep on going. I'm just going to keep on going. I'm ripping up the script. It, It looks at my mental health and specifically my mental health post losing the love of my life that I've never been able to get over. And the sort of expectations of what should I be doing with my love life? What should I be doing with my professional life? And it just, it takes a little bit of a turn, but it's quite funny as well. So it's a little bit tongue in cheek, I would say. But it's a funny look at a woman who goes on some crazy dates. She goes to a (laughs) speed dating night. She meets a millionaire taxi driver a judge and an astronaut and neither of those three guys impress her. She thinks they're just pants and she sits there and she's bored and she's completely like sarcastic to them. And really nobody is good enough apart from this person that she's still thinking about from like years ago. She'll never get over. And mentally that is true. It does do funny things to us and makes us feel a certain way. And I have experienced that. And the mental side of it is obviously Mm post-accident and the dark place that I went to and the panic stuff and the anxiety that I never suffered with I had to be medicated for. And all of these little things I wanted to talk about in this show and especially to do with the age thing in our industry because I do feel... There is not enough advocation of women, especially over the age of 35, who are new to the industry and are embraced because it seems to be very geared up to the younger people.
0: I'll ask you the question that a lot of people ask me. Why 35? What is 35 symbolic of to you?
1: Well, 35 is just a number to me. I'm 45 now. And that's just a number. In a world that is completely obsessed with numbers, you know, you have to remember that your age is just one of those. It's just a number. But society seems to go, okay, you get to 35, you should be starting to think about taking up some hobbies. Or why do you want to start a career age 35 and upwards? You should have just had your career. No, actually, some of us want to start a new career like me.
0: And I do think a lot of times, especially because you became a mother quite young. And, you know, I know a lot of women who have raised their kids. And now they're like, like you said, it's my time. It's my time after having 10 years of this mental health anguish. And it's my time after raising my kid. You get to a point. That you are ready to do something for you, and it's really bizarre to me that society hasn't quite embraced that yet. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's thirty-five or forty-five or a hundred, whatever age you are, why why
1: does it matter? Because ultimately, (laughs) I don't feel it does matter. Because if you've got something to say or you've got some something in your head that drives you forward. Whatever that is, that you want to be a nurse or you want to go off and do relief work in Afghanistan or Mm -hmm. be an actor, why can't you do that? You should be able to do that and you should be embraced for doing that, not criticized or feel. That you can't. Who says you can't? Quite often I think it's your own sort of perception and your own fears of being judged. And some of the stuff that I included in my show was to do with, I feel judged. And I don't want to feel judged. And that's my perception. And that's my problem to overcome.
0: It's how you feel, but it's based on fact. Yeah, <laughs> It might be, oh, I perceive that people are saying this. We're still looking at the media and seeing it. Yeah. We're still looking at opportunities that are available. So mm. I think it's one of those things that we're all talking yeah. about it for a reason. It's not because it's we've made it up in our heads.
1: No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And if I can inspire just one person to go, that's okay. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to get up off my sofa and I'm going to go back to university and I'm going to do whatever I want to do. If I can inspire just one person to do that, then that's amazing.
0: And in all of your spare time around a one woman show that you've completely come up with and <laughs> now adapting it for stage, you also started a YouTube channel based around inspiring women mm. over 35 as well. So we share yeah. that in common.
1: It's called Just Gabriella, and it is going to be basically a lot of inspiration for especially women over the age of let's say 35 and a lot of just advice and exploring my journey and following my journey into this industry because let's face it i have just literally graduated and i'm an emerging artist and i'm going to document that a bit and just share lots of you know positive stuff and i wanted it to be me as an advocate for for women who don't feel that they have a voice or feel that they have something to say and just launch a platform for just positive stuff. That is surrounding, you know, not only us in the industry, but in any industry where people are going into and feel, oh, can I do it? Can I do it? Yeah, you can.
0: So that kind of seems like a good moment for me to ask about a quote. Do you have one that inspires you? And you're telling women or everyone, but it's specifically women, you can. What's something maybe you look at that kind of reminds you that you can?
1: I have a few, actually. I have one that's my motto for life which is aim high, go higher.
0: I actually yeah. think I saw that. I think you have that on your Twitter page. I or, do have that Your on homepage. Twitter. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the other one is my grandmother, my Irish, very Irish grandmother, always used to say, darling, out of evil cometh good. So basically it means whatever bad situation in which you find yourself, it will always come good eventually. And I like that because I've encountered a lot of seriously bad stuff in my life that has stopped me in my tracks. And in those darkest sort of moments, it's really nice to think, oh, things can actually get better. You can get over these things and you can move forward. And the other one is just to not ever quit your dreams. Whatever it is, don't lose sight of them. Always have in your head, I could, not listening to either the stuff in your own head or the stuff from other people that tells you no, because we can achieve anything. I got up off a hospital bed and started walking again when they told me no. So I know in my head, if I could do that, I could do anything.
0: It's hard because I feel like something like, oh, just follow your dreams, it can come off as, it can come off as really cliche, but at the same yeah. time, it's you yeah. do need to have, I don't know, personally, I feel like I need to have something to strive for all the time. Yeah, exactly. When I don't have a goal, when I don't have a dream, when I don't have a big picture to look at, it's very yeah. easy for me to procrastinate things Yeah, or, oh, it's not, yeah. but when something's important, you're really going to be on top of it.
1: Exactly. Because if you're really passionate about something, what whatever it is. You just always got to be thinking. Well, you know, I can do that, and it is cliche. You're absolutely right. It sounds really cringy, but it is true. You always have to have something that ignites you inside, whatever yes. that. Because, like, you only get one life, and as I experience, something can happen in a second that threatens that. And that was the one takeaway that I had from my accident was to be appreciative of everything that you have in your life, because it could change in a nanosecond.
0: Absolutely. That's not even a situation where you would think, oh, I better be careful doing (laughs) this. I'm I'm still just blown away. The idea of I picked up some heavy bags. Isn't it crazy? But it's so nice that you are now here. It took a long time, but that you've now managed to find what you're looking for.
1: Yeah. Again, it's that karma thing. It's um, not karma thing, but like a fake thing. Everything does happen for reasons and they happen for, you know, whatever reason it is, whether it's to teach you something, to wake you up out of sleeping through your life, or whatever. And it taught me a big lesson. I will be eternally grateful for that in a way, even though I still carry that little syrinx around. I've just learned to move past that because I spent too long thinking about it. And that prevented me from, you know, really living my
0: life. You had your 10 years of being trapped inside, mentally, physically, looking out for the next 10 years. Where do you want to be? Wow.
1: Where do I want to be? I just want to be carrying on doing what I love. I obviously have in my head, I want to have success in our industry. And I don't know what that success looks like right now. But as long as I am feeling that I'm achieving something, that I am doing some good somewhere, whether that is to inspire people, to make people happy, to make people laugh, that's fine. I don't really know what the future holds. And I don't mind that because it's exciting because you're experiencing all of these new things. You know, I sent somebody uh, a self-tape the other day and that was for the first time. And I was so excited and I thought, I'm bound not to get it because about 300 people went for it. And I was absolutely fine with that because it was a new thing I'd never done before. I was like, wow. Amazing. I'm submitting a self tape and a professional CV. Get me. I love
0: it though, but that is exciting. That's the thing. If I can't be doing something new or experiencing something new, always. I always want to be doing something exciting and new for the first time. And that's what life is about, in my opinion. It is, for sure. Well, congratulations on everything. Your new thank graduation, you. your your show, the YouTube channel. It all sounds really exciting. And thank you so much for coming and sharing your story with me.
1: You're very welcome. It's been absolutely
0: a blast. Thank you. And very good first interview. Yet another new thing to put on your list. <laughs> Why, thank you very much. Thanks again for listening. The second chapter is just getting started. So your subscriptions and five-star reviews mean so much. The second chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them with a specific focus on women 35 plus. For more about Slackline, visit slacklineproductions.co.uk.
1: Thanks again.